Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Take out your Bible or an electronic device and open it to Luke chapter eight. I've been kind of talking to you about making sure that you have a hard copy of the Bible because in three weeks we begin our study of the book of Revelation. And so I want, it'll, it'll feel like at times you're drinking out of a fire hose. I want you to have a copy of the Bible that you feel comfortable marking because you're gonna to wanna to own these verses. I always pray that when you come to New Spring, those of you who do, those of you who watch on television or online, I always pray that you don't walk away from here and say, Mark said this or Mark said that. Because what I say, if it's of my own idea, it, it doesn't have a great deal of value. But this is the word of God. This is God's word. The Bible says it's inspired. The Greek words are theonuma that become inspired. It means God breathed. And so when you have the word of God, you have something more sure than even if you were able to see a miracle. Peter talks about this when he talks about the word of God. He said, we were up on the Mount of Transfiguration and we heard the voice of God speak. But he talked about the Bible. He said, we have now a more sure word of prophecy. Well, that's amazing. Peter was there at Transfiguration and yet he said God's word was even more sure. So I want to make sure that you have a copy of the Bible. And so I'm trying to, in these weeks leading up to it, to get you ready. Uh, you can pick up a New Spring Bible if you want to. And when we get into Revelation, I can even give you the page number that we're going to be on. But this morning, we're in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. Um, as I said, the message today is going to be a little shorter because we have something to do at the end of the service. But I'd like for you to read with me quite a section of Scripture so that when I refer back uh, to the story, you will have seen it yourself. So we're going to pick it up in verse 40 of Luke chapter 8. The Bible says on the uh, other side of the lake, the crowds, now watch how many times the word crowd or crowds show up. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. And Jesus, or as Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. There it is again. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, by the way, have you ever noticed how often Peter's trying to correct Jesus? I mean, you know, Peter's a fisherman. He hasn't even been to the university. And Jesus is the son of God who wrote the code for DNA. And Peter's always trying to straighten Jesus out. So he's doing it here. Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone, and look at the next word, because this is important today, deliberately touched me. For I felt healing power go out from me. 
When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And then my favorite line from this whole story, the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she'd been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to, she must've been a teenager, told them to give her something to eat. Well, we'll look at this whole story, but my focus today is on the woman who touched Jesus. We're not told her name. We don't know what her name is. I picked a name, but I made it up. Just want you to know that. We're calling her Leah because the name Leah means weary. And I think if there was any adjective to describe this woman's condition as she meets Jesus, it is weary, downtrodden. And I know that it may not be the same for you, but my guess is that somebody here today knows what that feels like. You have a problem. Could be health, could be relationship, could be mental health, emotional health. It could just be some kind of problem at work that won't go away. And you've tried all the normal resources and those have not helped. And even today, it's a challenge for you just to get in your car and drive to New Spring because you're dealing with this situation. And it's like Mark, five years ago, I had hope. But after all the things that I've tried, nothing has worked. And today it's just very hard for me to get up and put one foot in front of the other. And I don't know what that situation is, but you have a soul sister in this woman. We hear in the book of Mark, and by the way, her story is not just in Luke, it's also in Matthew and Mark. Mark, I really believe Mark is Peter's gospel. It's so typical for Peter to just dictate it to Mark and say, put your name on it. But Mark tells us things that Luke does not tell us. Mark says in verse 25 of chapter five, she suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She suffered physically. And then <laughs> Mark says something that Luke does not say. Luke is a doctor. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. Luke did not put that part in there. And over the years, she had spent everything that she had to pay them, but it got no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. I want you to try to get your mind around this story enough to where you can envision the situation. Jesus has a crowd around him, hundreds, if not thousands of people. But on the periphery of the crowd, for reasons that we shall discuss in just a moment, there is a woman and she stands out to us because she is pale. If you dealt with bleeding for 12 years that would not stop, you would be pale. 
and weak, trembling. But in those days, unlike today, she could not talk about her illness because there was a cultural set of laws for hygienic reasons and, and even bordering on religious reasons. She could not touch anybody because not only was she ill, she was considered by the culture unclean. And if she touched somebody, that person would become unclean. If somebody touched her, that person would be unclean. If she touched a household item, if she touched anything, whatever she touched would have been contaminated and unclean. So not only did she have to deal with the pain of her illness, she also had to deal with the social stigma and think about how that would have shrunk her life because she cannot go to work. She cannot have close friends. If she does, she can't embrace them. She can't cook. She can't do things around the house. She cannot, in the physical sense, be a wife. She cannot have children. Well, she did what I think we would have done if we had been in her place and some of us are doing today. She said, I want to get better. I want to be well. And her first thing was when she heard the kind of treatments that she was going to have to go through, she did what some of you know all too well. She determined that she would trade pain for health. I have read a little bit about the treatments for her condition in those days, and they were, they were awful. And some of you know what that, what that is like. You have allowed chemicals to come into your body that caused you difficulty, but you said, I will trade that pain for health. You have dealt with radiation. You have dealt with surgeries. You've dealt with treatments that caused you pain, but you said, I want to get better. And if that's what it takes, I'm going to do that. And then she did something else that many of us know about. She said, well, if money will help, I will trade my money to get better. And every year, every six months, there was a new doctor with a new treatment plan. And she said, well, the last doctor I saw didn't help me. And the last treatment I tried did not help me but maybe this next treatment. And she went to her bank account and she filed her insurance and said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trade money for health. But after a while, there was no more coverage on her insurance policy. She had maxed it out and she went to her checkbook and there was no money left. So she's weak from the illness. She has a social stigma. She's broke. There are no treatments left and no money to pay for them if there were any left. She is, as perhaps someone is today listening to me, she was at the end of her rope. Nothing left to try. We'll leave her there for just a moment because you read what I read. Her story begins with another story. There is a man named Jairus. He is a ruler of a synagogue. Typically, because there is tension between the religious elite and Jesus, typically he would not be interested in Jesus. But you know, it is interesting, isn't it? How that people that aren't normally interested in God, when they get in enough trouble, suddenly things change. It's like the old saying that says there are no atheists in foxholes. 
And I'm not, being, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying normally Jairus would not want anything to do with Jesus, but he's got a baby. He's got an 11, 12-year-old girl who's dying, and he runs out of the house, and he's not even going to spend those last moments with her. He's got to run to Jesus because he's heard that Jesus could do something. And even though it would be something very strange for the ruler of a synagogue, perhaps the greatest ruler of the synagogue in this particular city, he falls at Jesus' feet. And asked Jesus to heal her. And Jesus said, I will go with you. And so while Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, it is when Leah comes up in the crowd. Now Leah is about to break all the social rules. She is about to break all the cultural rules. And in the Gospel of Mark, we find out why she did what she did. In verse 27 of chapter 5, she had, the Bible says she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. Now, you and I already know why this is not acceptable. She's not supposed to touch anybody. She's not supposed to touch anything. But, you know, when you get desperate enough, you will leave those cultural norms behind, For she thought to herself, the Bible says, if I can, and I love this word, the word just here. It's there in the Greek. Um, a synonym for us would be only. Basically, she said, the only thing I need to do is touch the fringe of his robe and I will be healed. And I need to stop today. As I will probably tell you again, this is one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible for me to teach for this reason I do not know what God is going to do today there is a mystery to the way that God works if you back me into a corner and ask why does God do a miracle and heal someone and not heal another I do not know if you ask me why God seems to supply a request of one person and not request another, not the request of another I do not know there is a mystery to that I cringe when I hear those from the prosperity gospel stripe that say that all you have to do is X, Y, and Z and God will give you anything. I have lived long enough and ministered long enough to know that God, there is a, as I say, mystery to God's way in which he answers prayer. But by the same token, that does not stop me from talking about miracles because God sometimes does miracles for reasons known only to him. And I didn't teach this in the other services, but I did a sermon on miracles about seven or eight years ago where God, through the work of reading of the Holy Spirit, uh, the word of God, and the Holy Spirit, God taught me what a miracle is. A miracle is just the normalcy of heaven coming to the normalcy of earth. Because see, in heaven, people don't get sick. In heaven, people don't die. In, in heaven, people don't have uh, illness or, and so, or need. So what happens when we pray for a miracle? This is why we're taught in the Lord's pray, prayer to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is what a miracle is. And I don't know what God is going to do today. I mean, this is the last of many services that we have on a weekend. And we have felt God's presence here. I mean, a lady who was here for the first time at the 545 service met me as I was leaving, going out to my car. She said, I haven't felt the Holy Spirit's presence like this in, in years. 
And I don't know what God is going to do, but I know he's working in this place. And again, one more time, as I said earlier, this is not about Mark. It's not about our worship team. It's not about any of the great volunteers who are here. The important thing is Jesus is here today through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And I know he's working. When I got the statistics on this last weekend, I found out that 45 adults accepted Christ as their Savior. And I don't know, maybe many more, but these are 45. And you know what it's like at the end of this service to fight upstream and the great crowd. These are 45 people who went back to guest services and said, I prayed with Mark to receive Christ as my Savior. When, when the statistics came in from online and television, 98 people accepted Christ through New Spring Church's ministry last week. So I'm not here to promise you anything. I don't know. I'm not God. But I know this is important. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my best to tell you this story and show you some things that stand out. And then I'm just going to turn this over to you and God. I've already given this one away, haven't I? First of all, I want you to notice how many times the word crowd is used here. Verse 40, the crowds welcomed Jesus. Verse 42, Jesus was surrounded by crowds. Verse 43, a woman in the crowd. Peter said, Master, the whole crowd, verse 45, is pressing up against you. Verse 47, the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him. The house was filled with people, verse 52, weeping and wailing. But he said, stop the weeping. She's not dead, only asleep. The crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Jesus is surrounded by a crowd. We're a crowd today. And in this service, thousands of us are going to brush up against Jesus. We brushed up against him in the worship. We're brushing up against him in the message. Thousands of us will get close to Jesus. I mean, but I want you to look at the contradistinction of Jesus' language here because while the Bible keeps saying, and by the way, the Holy Spirit never wastes words, over and over, crowd, 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 we get to verse 46 and Jesus said, someone touched me. <laughs> Peter said, everybody's touching you. Jesus said, not like that. See, thousands of us will we'll go to church this week. We may even tell friends, well, I went to New Spring. It was great service today, you know, had great worship and, you know, like Mark's message. Okay, that's not the same thing as touching Jesus. Jesus said, someone touched me. What, what made her different? I mean, all this crowd, as far as I know, they were interested in Jesus. They were positive about Jesus. They were probably curious about Jesus. But this woman's touch was different. I can tell you why. Because I think it's salient to you and me today. I know it is. But if you really want to know why, you actually have to go back to the Old Testament. Stop for a moment. Let me ask you a question. What's the last chapter of your Bible? Revelation 22, isn't it? What does the Bible say at the end of your Bible? Well, it's one more time to tell us that Jesus is coming back. What I love is the last major message of the New Testament of the Bible is one more call to get people saved. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let him who heareth say, come. Let him who is thirst come and take the water of life. One more time to say Jesus is coming. Do you know what the last chapter of her Bible said? The last chapter of her Bible said Jesus is coming. She didn't know his name. The last chapter of her Bible is Malachi chapter four, and it says that Jesus is coming the first time. The last chapter of our Bible says Jesus is coming the second time. That's why I can't wait to open up the book of Revelation and talk about what's happening next. 
So if you were to go to the last chapter of her Bible, it says this, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, that's a name for Jesus, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free leaping with joy. When I was a kid, I used to read that and hear about that and I was thinking wings, like angel wings or bird wings. But if you actually got into the Hebrew word there, you'd find out we're not talking about wings like flying wings, we're talking about the corner's of a, a man's robe, of a, of, a, of a rabbi's robe. At the bottom of the robe, there would be fringes. There would be tassels on four corners of the robe. And, and what her Bible said is that when the Messiah comes, he's going to have healing in his wings. And I'm, this is between you and me, okay? I think that was just a metaphorical expression. I'm not sure it was meant to be taken literally like that's where you'll find healing in the fringes of his robe. You know how we use the expression, she's got more brains in her little finger than everybody else in the room. You know she didn't have brains in her little finger. She's just the smartest person in the room. It's an expression. So I think when the Holy Spirit had Malachi chapter four inspired, it was just God's way of saying when Messiah comes, he's gonna be so filled with healing, it's gonna be like in the fringes of his robe. But she read that and said, if all I... I just only need to touch the fringe of his robe. Now, I don't know how far you had to drive. I hear that some of you drive four hours one way to be at New Spring. But however far you have to drive, it's worth it for what you're about to hear right now. She took God at his word. She took God to mean what he said he meant. Maybe overly literal. But the Bible said that when Messiah came, he would have healing in the corners of his robe. She was sick. She couldn't get well. She'd spent everything on doctors. She'd suffer from all kinds of treatment. This was her last hope. She recognized that it was going to break every cultural will to go through that crowd and get to Jesus. But she said, if I can just touch the wings, if I can just touch the corners of his robe, I will be well. I wish I knew how to preach. I want to preach. But everyone saw someone say, Mark, why do you say that? It's because as I stand here before you, the word of God is so much better than I can explain it. I do not know how and why, but I know Bible history and the history of my life and the people I've pastored for the last 46 years. There is something that happens when someone will mix desperation with absolute confidence in God's word. I do not know, know, I don't know why, I don't know how, but for some reason, heaven moves when a daughter of God will mix her desperation with her absolute confidence in the word of God. For some reason, all heaven stands up and gets busy at that point. Well, you read with me what happened. The woman who had been sick for 12 years, suffered, spent everything, got well. It's interesting. The, the verb felt is there. In Mark's gospel, she felt the bleeding stop. And now in our gospel, the Bible says Jesus felt healing go out of him. I don't have time to develop this too much, but I do find it interesting that Jesus felt healing go out of him because some of us had the idea that when Jesus was on the earth, hey, he just, it didn't mean anything for him to heal people. He just had that kind of power. But this verse is interesting because it tells us that, well, the book of Isaiah says 
that he has borne our illnesses. He has borne our sorrows. He, by his stripes, we are healed. You understand that all this healing was racking up a bill that he was going to pay on the cross. He felt what was, he, he, he felt the cost of healing her when it happened. But notice he didn't get mad at her for that. That healing was given to her free of charge. He would pay for it on the cross. And now we come to my favorite line in the whole story. Verse 47, the whole crowd heard her explain why she touched him. You know, you, you can put two and two together and know why I love this. I mean, today, I don't think we would mind talking about this kind of thing, but back in these days, I mean, you, you can imagine how I'm, most people would have been embarrassed to talk about what she had been through, what she had suffered, the illness. What, you think most people would have been embarrassed to say, I, I had this problem. I, 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 had, I was hemorrhaging for 12 years. But ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what I do know personally. You will never mind sharing sensitive details about where you were before Jesus touched you after Jesus touches you. You will want people to know. You won't mind them knowing that you were addicted. You won't mind them knowing that you couldn't think straight. You will not mind them knowing how much trouble you were in. You will not mind them knowing that you actually did a little time in jail. You will not mind them knowing that you were a proud, money-centered person because once Jesus has touched you, you and you're not there anymore, you are perfectly glad for people to know the hole you were in before Jesus pulled you out. You will not mind people knowing the pit you were in before the Lord digs you out. The whole crowd heard her explain why she touched Jesus. Has Jesus touched you? Are you a born again child of God? Then I have a question for you. Has your crowd heard you tell why you touched Jesus? Oh, Mark, when I'm at New Spring, I love worshiping. Wait a minute, wait a minute. On Monday when you go to work and you're around the crowd that's talking about what they did on the weekend, are you okay with telling the whole crowd why you touched Jesus and the difference that he made in your life? That's very important. Because you see, a lot of Christians have this, you know, the Bible tells us we're all supposed to share our faith in Jesus Christ, but a lot of Christians worry about this. And I've been asked this question ever since I was a teenage preacher. What if I share my faith and somebody asks me a question about the Bible that I don't know the answer to? Well, people ask me questions about the Bible I don't know the answer to all the time. I don't know where Cain got his wife. I want you to know something. Your friends and loved ones are not going to accept Christ because you answer all their questions about the Bible. You have a story to tell. And people can disagree with your theology. They can disagree with your idea of the origins of the world. They can disagree with everything. But nobody can disagree with your story. <laughs> it's like the blind man that Jesus healed and the religious elite were wanting to disrespect Jesus and they were trying to get him to parse his theology. He said, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I just know I was blind, but now I see. Has your crowd heard you tell why you touched Jesus? I want to close with one more and I'll be through with the sermon. While Jesus is talking to Leah, a messenger from Jairus' house comes up to him and says, it's too late. Your daughter's already dead. And I can't imagine how Jairus felt at that moment. You know, when he saw Jesus heal Leah, I think that his faith era was pointed up. But then when people said, 
Your daughter's dead. I think it immediately pointed down. And I'm sure Jairus was human. Did he wonder if Jesus hadn't stopped to help that woman, Leah, could he have been on time? I mean, after all, that woman broke every rule that Jairus taught in the synagogue every week. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. And you read what happened, so I won't take a lot of time here, but there's one more point that I want to focus on. And that is when Jesus got to Jairus' house, there was a crowd there. And the Bible says that when Jesus said the girl wasn't dead, she was only sleeping, the crowd suddenly turned and began to laugh. Now I'm going to teach one of the most important things I'll ever teach at New Spring. There is a quantum, infinite difference between doubt and unbelief. The difference between doubt and unbelief is as wide as the difference between heaven and hell. See, doubt says I am struggling under the weight of God's word. That God's word is so heavy and I'm so weak and frail as a human being. I am struggling under the weight. I'm having a hard time. I know God always tells the truth, but in my weakness, I'm struggling. That's why John the Baptist had his season of doubt. That's why Peter and others failed. But that's a whole lot of difference between struggling under the weight of God's word and calling God a liar. Because unbelief calls God a liar. Why did these people laugh? They laughed because they said Jesus is false. Now here's the thing that I noticed from this story. The Bible says Jesus put them out of the room. In other words, he was going to do a miracle in that room. He did not need them in that room. If they didn't believe, there was no reason for them to be there. So he put them out of the room. And I got to tell you something. I'm a frail human being with needs for God to do miracles. I can't afford for Jesus to put me out of the room. I have to be willing to be like this woman who said, well, if the word of God says there's healing in the tassels of his robe, then I'm going to find some way to touch the tassels of his robe. Well, that's the sermon. Um, I've said this at least once, if not twice already. This uh, chapter has always been a challenge for me for the reasons I said. Because I never know what God's going to do. I think the last time I preached this was 12 years ago. I know I preached it 12 years ago. For those of you who've been in New Spring for a long time, you've heard me tell about how that the end of, at the end of 2010, just because of exhaustion and some illness I was dealing with, I just, just, kind of, just kind of imploded. And I had to be gone for about four weeks just to rest and recuperate. And, but in that time, I know I prayed and studied God's word for hours, trying to get my strength back. And Mary Alice, of course, was such a blessing to me in those days. But when I came back, and uh, God had brought me back. I was still not physically strong. And I wound up, but, but the strange thing, and I don't, no, no one needs to read anything special into this. I just sensed the presence of God and the power of God in an unusual way in my life. I was doing a series um, 12 years ago, at the beginning of 11, 2011, called Red Letters. <laughs> I just wanted to teach what I thought were the eight most powerful 
things Jesus said, not that I know. I remember when I got it down to 25 and it was such a challenge to get it down to eight because we had eight weeks before the next series. Um, and I, I preached, Jesus would say, come, that was week one, and then you must be born again. But it wasn't long before I preached on Jesus the healer and I was preaching from this chapter. I finished the second service on Saturday, walked out that door over there and was gonna circle back around to go toward the parking lot. But as I walked out that door over there, I thought, I'm not sure I know what that sermon was about. I preached the Bible, but I said, Lord, I'm struggling to know what that's about. I circled back around and Mary Alice met me and she said, Mark, I know you're exhausted. She said, but I think there's a hospital visit that you need to make. And she told me the story of what had happened that evening. She named the family, I knew them well. And she said the mother and her little 11-year-old daughter were on a country road. The little girl was in the passenger seat in the front seat of the car. You guys know how we burn fields here in the spring. And the mother and the daughter had driving down this country road. All of a sudden, the smoke billowing from a burning field just enveloped them on the road. And what she didn't have time to see was that there were two farmers who had stopped to talk to each other, going in opposite directions on the road. They had stopped their trucks and they were just talking. And the mother not being able to see because the smoke cloud drove into the back of a flatbed truck and it sheared the top off the truck, of the car. And the back of that truck hit this little girl's head. And I can't confirm this, I just know the highway patrolman said there was brain fluid in the car. And when Mary Alice told me the story, she said, Mark, she's on life support, but can you just go up and pray with the family? So I did. I got up to Wesley in intensive, pediatric intensive care. And I walked in, the family was there and the medical personnel in the room. And I talked to them for a few moments and then I said, well, let's just hold hands and pray and please, please don't read anything into this. I'm not telling you I had great faith. I prayed what I call a preacher prayer as in how we're supposed to sound when we pray. I mean, I know I was sincere, but it was, it was preacher prayer, holding hands. And I mean, she's in life support. I left the room there in intensive care, circled back around. If you know anything about pediatric ICU at Wesley, the elevators are just right outside there. So I was about to get on the elevator to go downstairs. And I realized I had taken my glasses off and placed them on her bed. And so I thought I better go back and get my glasses. And strangely enough, when I got back into her room, there was no one in the room other than just this little girl. And I stood there by her bed and I started thinking about the sermon that I just preached. And I don't even know why I did this. I reached down and I took her wrist in my hand. <laughs> this has got to be the quirkiest prayer I ever prayed in my life. I'm not even sure I knew it was a prayer. I was just talking to Jesus. I said, Lord, if you are who I just told these people you are, you could do something here, word for word. Walked out of the room. Please, don't, don't think I had faith. Maybe just enough faith to do that. So I, I expected to get a text or a phone call during the night that she had passed, but the night passed and she did. So I came back for the morning services. And I remember early in the service asking people to pray. 
later after this story resolved, I got a long email from an emergency specialist who was in that emergency room to receive her. And she said, I was angry at you for asking the church to pray for her because she said, in all my 20 years of emergency medicine, I've never seen anyone in that bad shape. She said, we were just hoping she lived long enough to harvest her organs. Well, Sunday passed and she didn't die. Then Monday and then Tuesday and then Wednesday. I kept waiting to get the phone call, but it just didn't come that week. And later that week, I think it was like Friday, the family said to the doctor who was over her care, they said, we think that she is responding to our voices. The doctor said, oh, please do not get your hope up. He said, that's just her autonomic nervous system reacting. He said, watch, I'll, I'll pinch her and, and she'll flinch. And he pinched her hand and she said, ouch. <laughs> Boom, that got all the personnel at Wesley rushing in. So if my memory serves correct, and it's been 12 years, I think at that point they determined they needed to go to Children's Mercy in Kansas City. And after being at Children's Mercy for a week, they were going to take her out to therapy, and her dad called and said she ran and got into the back of the ambulance. And you would have had to have been at New Spring for a long, year, long time, but some of you can remember the day that she bounded up on stage, 4.0 student. Well, like I said, I knew I was going to be preaching on this, and so I thought, well, I'm going to get the sermon that I preached 12 years ago and just listen to it, because I haven't watched it since, and I thought, well, maybe I can get some help from it. But after I watched the sermon, I realized, no, it wasn't that good. It wasn't very good. There wasn't any help for me. And I watched about four-fifths of it one night late and thought, well, he's not, getting, he's, not, he's not getting anywhere with this. So for some reason, instead of turning it off, I pressed pause. And the next morning when I got up and went downstairs to my office, I realized that I pressed pause. I thought, well, I mean, I listened to that much. I may as well listen to the rest of it. So I, I hit pause button again, and I realized something that I'd forgotten. was that at the end of my sermon, I talked about her. I want to ask for your favor. I, I don't, I've never done this before. Could I play like one minute of that message for you from 12 years ago? And I want, I want you to watch my face because you can tell I'm where some of you are right now. I knew a miracle needed to happen, but I didn't know if it would happen or not. I want you to know that because I want you to see that in real time. Take a look at this. Last night, after giving this talk twice, I left the campus and immediately went to the hospital. I found out during the services last night that one of our little girls, a new Springer, was in a really bad accident. She's 11 years old and she needs a miracle. And I went up and I stood by her bed and I held her little arm in my arm in my hand. And prayed for him. And I don't know what God will do. But I thought at that moment that there are a lot of us who read the Bible, especially us Sunday school kids like me. We read the Bible and in our minds, these are stories that happened a long time ago.
But as I prayed, there was one verse that lit me up. It's Hebrews 13, 8, and it just says this, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was the healer yesterday. He's still the healer today, and he will be the healer forever. And I can just say this to you today. Some of you, are, you're desperate, and you came in today, and you thought, wow, I'm hanging on by my fingernails. Is there a message for me? I want to tell you there's more of a message for you than anybody here. Because Jesus loves dealing with people who are so desperate, they put everything out of the way just to get to him. If you will do that today by faith, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you can reach out to him. Well, I'm going to leave it with you now. Our service is going to take a little bit of a turn because this year at Easter, we've been praying that people who need Jesus will come and be part of it. If you look at the graphic of Easter, it's three days that changed the world. Painful Friday, silent Saturday, glorious Sunday. And there's so many people that are in the painful Fridays of life and the silent Saturdays. We want to see God work and then get to that glorious Sunday. So that's why we've asked you to think about two people that you want to invite. We believe that God's going to lead you for that. Well, we're going to pray now. I'm going to ask Austin and the worship team to come join me. We're going to lay hands on these. And by the way, I want you to know that we've gotten these from all our services. Our staff will be praying over these names every day as we get close to Easter. I believe the Lord hears our prayers. The Bible tells us, and this is in the book of Revelation, that the prayers of the saints are sweet incense in heaven. And in all of our services, we probably had five, six, seven thousand people pray. And I really believe that uh, our prayer over these names fills heaven with sweet, sweet fragrance. So as Austin and the team uh, join me in laying hands on these and praying, I'm gonna ask you to pray. Can you imagine what's going to happen in heaven when thousands of new springers pray and say, God, touch the hearts that we're going to be talking to. Lord, we don't want this to be a normal Easter. We want this to be a completely abnormal Easter. Yep. Yep. So would you join me in prayer, please? Oh, Lord Jesus, we come to you. And I recognize that every one of these cards from all our services represents people that you love and people that are loved by new springers. Now, Lord, I'm going to ask for something. I'm going to ask that you work before we start talking. Lord, I'm sure there are names here of people that have been on someone's mind they may not have seen for 30 years. Maybe somebody they went to school with. Or it could be somebody in their family, Lord. It could be somebody in their family. And Lord, you know how families can, can be challenging sometimes. It, it could be just be something it's a heartbreak but oh God I pray that you would work and Lord I'm sure that there's a name maybe several names in here where the person who dropped the name thought on paper would be the last person in the world but Lord you got a history of reaching people that we think are the last people of the world and then right. using them to change the world so Lord we pray that you will work and move I pray that you will do three things 
I pray, Lord, that you will um, begin to prepare the hearts of those who are going to be invited and give them favor and give them openness toward the invited person. And then secondly, Lord, I pray that when courage begins to wane in the heart of your child who's going to invite, I pray that you will strengthen their courage so that they will go forward and, and follow through. And then, Father, we're just asking that when obstacles get in the way of people who intend to come because they've been invited. I pray you'll break down those obstacles and break down those walls. We make you a promise here today as we pray, Lord. We say this. We will give all the glory to Jesus. It won't go to a church or a preacher. It won't go to any human being. All the glory will be at the throne of Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.
Hi everyone, welcome to New Spring. My name is Grace and I'm here with our executive administrative pastor, Roger Miracle. Roger, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely, my pleasure. Yes, well, I am really excited for you guys to get to know Roger a little bit. But to start off, Roger, I need you to tell us what your favorite drink from the New Spring Coffee Shop is. My favorite drink would be a vanilla latte with a little bit of uh, cinnamon sprinkled on top. I love that. Yes, it's simple, but classic. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I'm definitely like an iced coffee person, so in any season I'm getting iced coffee to drink, but I know the vanilla latte is very popular, so that's great. And my second drink to that would be Sherry's Surprise. I know you, that's been mentioned on other yes. on other <laughs> interviews, but she does a great job of anything that she does coffee-wise. So if you're uh, feeling brave and bold, uh, go back to the coffee shop and ask for Sherry's Surprise. Yes, highly recommend. Well, like I said, Roger, I'm excited for everybody to get to know you. And I know you have been attending New Spring for quite a while now. And so I'd love for you to just tell everybody how you got started coming to New Spring. Oh, you bet. It was about 10 years ago and we were attending a church about 25 miles away from home. And while it was a great church and we loved the people there, it was just too far to travel on a regular basis. Our kids were getting older. and. So New Spring was kind of in our backyard living in Bel Air. And um, so my wife suggested that we, we attend New Spring. And it was about that time that I met Billy and Sherry Poor. And then shortly after that, one of my best friends uh, started attending here. He and his wife started coming here and was telling me how great of a place it was. So we tried it out on a weekend and just fell in love. It, it took us about three months to kind of back out of other commitments that we had at our at our prior church. And while we missed those folks, uh, we started in January of 2013 and just have loved every minute of it since. That is so awesome. And I know over those 10 years now that you've been attending, you have been involved in a lot of different ministries. So can you just talk about kind of how you got in, your foot in the door volunteering and what sure. that's been like for you? Yeah, uh, probably my first love would be guest services. It was the first thing that I uh, tried out for or signed up for as we moved to here, to New Spring. And um, it was just a way to make a big church small. We started meeting folks around campus, started serving with a particular um, uh, guest services team that we're still with today. And gosh, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years of, of being with that group but it's a group that comes together, that prays together, that celebrates uh, the good times and just can't imagine doing life without the guest services group. It's definitely the highlight of my week to show up here on Sunday morning and, and be a part of that group. That is so great. And I know you're actually also involved in one of the newer ministries here at New Spring, which is Divorce Care. And maybe some of you out there don't know what that ministry is, but Roger, can you talk a little bit about that as well? Absolutely. It's led by uh, Jonathan and Wendy, and they talk about it occasionally, but in case you haven't heard, it's a ministry that reaches out to people that are going through um, a divorce situation, and maybe they've been divorced for years, but just kind of gotten stuck in where they are. So my wife, Jeanette, and I, both uh, having been through a divorce and blending our families years ago, just felt a special place in our heart for those folks going through that, that rough patch in life. And so we've helped, I think, with about four different sessions of of divorce care. We're currently sitting this one out that's happening right now, but it's definitely something that we'll be intentional about in the future. Just, it's it's hard to put words out there as to what the transition you see in someone's life when they show up for the first time and 13 weeks later, they're walking out kind of a new person or at least with a, a guiding light of where they should go and navigate this very 
tough time in life. Yes, I know that's a, a beneficial ministry for lots and lots of people, so that's great. And our whole goal here at New Spring is really to connect people, of course, with Jesus Christ, but also with others to build community. And I know that you have been a testimony to that in your years here at New Spring. So what would you say to somebody who maybe is thinking about getting involved, getting connected um, on a deeper level, maybe as a volunteer or maybe in a small group, but they haven't taken that step yet? Oh, absolutely. The first thing certainly would be to pray about it. Think about where you've you plugged in in the past. Uh, you certainly, everyone's born with a unique set of skills and gifts and, and um, certainly those gifts that the Holy Spirit imparts upon you. If you can take those and apply those into one of the many ministries here at New Spring, you'll just be rewarded. It's, it's such an amazing way, as I think I mentioned earlier, to, to make a big church small. Uh, you connect with other believers around and just to walk through life with them week after week, it, it becomes a very central part of why you come to New Spring. I love that so much. Well, thank you again, Roger, for sitting down with us. And thank you guys so much for attending New Spring this weekend. I know that it's about time for the service to begin, so I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to the South Auditorium. But thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the service. everyone and welcome to New Spring Church. We're so glad that you're here. My name's Austin and uh, this morning we're going to start the service. I'm going to actually ask you guys to remain seated for this first song. Uh, we've been doing this over the last couple of weeks and months if you're new to New Spring. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the first time that you've experienced this. We have a song that as people are coming in and as, as, you're, as you're finding your seat, saving your seats, sipping on your coffee, we have a song that we just hope is a blessing to you. And I know it's been one to me this week. And uh, it's one that no matter where you are in life, no matter what the circumstances, uh, we, we know this to be true, um, that so many times there's, you're, you're coming out of a hardship, you're in a hardship, or, or you know, hardships so many times are just around the corner. And that's not to, to you know, be sad or you know, put a cloud on things. It's just we realize the reality of this life. Um, and we know that what we need is encouragement to be able to face those things. And sometimes uh, it comes in the form of, of God's word. Sometimes it comes in the, in the form of someone just giving us an encouraging word through that day. But today we want this song to be an encouragement to your soul, to your spirit. And uh, it's one that has encouraged me this week. And it simply says this, that we know the circumstances of this life, things are gonna happen. Jesus himself told us in this life, there will be troubles, but take heart for I've overcome song this morning simply says this whatever you're going through it may look bleak but it ain't over until God says that it's over so keep fighting until the victory is won Ange 
Mitch, would you guys lead us in this first song this morning? Till God says it's over, it ain't over. 
Well, good morning, New Spring. It's my privilege to welcome all of you here, whether you're in South Auditorium, over in North Auditorium, or watching online or watching on television. We're just so grateful for your presence here today. And I want to let you know that today is going to be just a little bit of an unusual service. It'll probably be a shorter sermon, at least it's shorter on paper. Uh, but I, it's, I started to say it's different from our normal service, but we're still trying to figure out what a normal service is. We've never quite had one. But I know this, I know that God is doing extraordinary things in our, in our church and with, his, with, our, with the ministry that God has given us. So let me just tell you what you got when you came in today. And if you didn't get one of these, guest services will be glad to put one of these in your hand. So when we get to the end of the service, we're going to do something with these. If you don't get one, you can just raise your hand and guest services will give you one. But uh, this is an invite, but it's more than an invite. Uh, our Easter services began on Friday, April the 7th. We have one then, we have two on Saturday, and then also three on Sunday. So we tried to make as many services as we possibly can. All the services are going to be the same. I, you know, I never preach the same sermon. I, I tried to. But uh, we want you to invite two people. You can invite more, but all of us can invite two. And, and here's the thing that I want everyone to understand. If you're a New Spring, you know this already, but if you're new to New Spring, guys, we're not trying to build a bigger church. That's not what we're after. We want life change. Everything we do at New Spring, if we can't draw a straight line between anything we do and somebody's life changing, it's not about, we're not after money. We're not after, we're not after the stuff that so many churches are after. We just want to see God work in people's lives. And we see that happen every weekend at New Spring. So here's the question we're asking today. Who's your two? Who's your two? And, and I'm going to ask you, if you will, to put the names on there. You don't need to put the last name on there. You can just, you can just put a first name on there. You can even just put something because what we're going to do today at the end of this service, we're going to pray over these names and uh, guest services will pass the buckets at the end. And you can just tear this little part off and put the names on there. We did this in the services last night. We'll continue to do that. We'll bring them down here. The worship team will join me. We'll lay hands on these, and we're going to pray that God will open the hearts of the people that you're going to invite. And we're going to pray for you that God gives you opportunities. So sometime during the service, if you'll put your two names on there, uh, we'll at the end, when I get through with the message, we'll bring these forward. So that's what this is. And then That'll leave you with this. These are invites that have the service times, and you got two of these that you can share with the people that you're going to invite. But we're just believing God for great things. And one more time, I just want to say, you know, we have crowds already at New Spring, as you all know. Our goal is to see people's lives turn around, marriages put back together, families restored. We want to see God restore what the enemy has stolen. And most of all, we want to see people come to know Jesus Christ and their lives be forever changed. So let's do this together and let's see what God does. So that's what we'll talk about at the end of the service. But right now, let me just talk a little bit about how our band is going to begin our service today, our worship team and band. You know, the Bible tells a story about a blind man. And of course, not being sighted, he had a hard time navigating and negotiating. Uh, but he heard that Jesus was coming. And I got to tell you that Jesus wasn't going to live on the earth too many more days. He heard that Jesus was passing his way. And when the crowd got around him and he perceived that Jesus was close, he began to cry out for Jesus to help him. And the crowd tried to shut him up. But he knew that Jesus was passing and he might never pass that way again. And so he, he cried so loud that Jesus stopped and, 
and, and helped him and healed him. Well, today, Jesus is passing our way, and we don't want Jesus to pass us by. And our band's going to start with one, an old song of the church that just never gets old. But it's a personal message that says, Lord, while you're helping others and while you're ministering to others and while you're touching other families, Lord, don't, don't pass me by. So would you join today as the band sings, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Church. So come. 
cross Jesus is waiting God so The message of the gospel is simple. It's that, that God sent his son into the world to pay the price that we couldn't. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you've already called upon the name of the Lord and you have been saved, then I got news for you this morning. You're walking in victory today. So I got to tell you, that's something we're singing and shouting about. I want you to clap your hands just like this, church. Come on. You may have heard the story before, but it's worth repeating. who are going to be receiving our tithes and offerings to come forward. Hey, as a friendly reminder, make sure that you are uh, taking 
the, the, the names and writing them down on the back of that last little perforated section, just as your friendly reminder, we're gonna be gathering those at the end of the service and uh, your, the guest services are gonna come by and pick those up. We're gonna pray for these together. So don't miss an incredible opportunity. Um, man, one, one of my favorite call and responses is this, little prayer, little power, more prayer, more power, much prayer, much power. Imagine now with us that you're gonna have 1,500 people just in this service alone praying for the names that we write on these lists, that God is gonna move heaven and earth to make sure that there's opportunities for people to be invited to hear that good news of Jesus Christ this Easter, y'all. All right, well, hey, we've always got stuff that we wanna share with you. Check out what's happening at New Spring. Again, thank you for being here. Welcome to New Spring. Here's some things you won't want to miss. On Thursday evening, April 6th, tune in to our live stream for a special time of communion before we begin our Easter celebration. Find out how to participate at newspring.org slash online communion. Celebrate Easter at New Spring by attending one of our six identical services on Friday, April 7th, Saturday, April 8th, or Sunday, April 9th. Environments for kids and middle schoolers will be open every service. Find service times and a digital invite you can use to invite others at newspring.org slash Easter. Do you have questions about trusting God, reading the Bible, or prayer? Joining the next group may be a great next step for you. Find out more at a brief orientation the weekend of April 15th and 16th. Sign up at newspring.org slash next. Meet other New Springers and have fun in our co-ed slow pitch summer softball league for ages 16 plus. No matter your experience or skill level, we'd love for you to participate. Registration is now open. For details on these events and more, visit newspring.org and click on what's happening. Excuse me, do you mind if I join you? Oh, yeah, of course. I'm so sorry for the intrusion. I just thought you might need some company. Thanks, some company would be nice. Is everything okay? It's been a rough few years. I've been fighting this for so long. And just when I think things are improving, it only gets worse. I've tried everything. The doctors are at loss. I have nowhere else to turn. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry you've had to carry this burden alone. I don't think that I can hold on much longer. I need a miracle. Perhaps your faith is all you need. <laughs> wow, it's been wonderful already. I mean, for those of you, I know if you're watching online, maybe you feel this, but if you're here at New Spring, do you feel the presence of Jesus here today? I mean, in a very special way. And um, I hope, hope you always know that he is who this is about.
because the Bible says if two or more gathered in his name, he's in our midst. And please, it's none of us on the stage. We're nobodies. It's Jesus. And so when I give you this sermon today or talk or whatever you want to call it, the important thing for you to understand is that Jesus is here. He's not just in history. He's here today through the presence of his Holy Spirit. So take out your Bibles this morning, or if you have an electronic device, you want to turn to Luke chapter 8, but I'm really encouraging all of us and trying to get us ready for the series that begins the week after Easter. I really would love to see you bring a hard copy of the Bible that you can mark in because especially when we get into the book of Revelation, it's going to be like drinking out of a fire hose and you're going to want to own these verses. And, and the thing about being at New Spring is when you leave here, you should never say, well, Mark said this or Mark said that. The question is, what does the word of God say? This is the, this is the God-breathed word of God. When you hold the Bible in your hands, you're holding God's word. And so I want you to own these verses. And the reason I make that point today is we're going to read for a good while. So if you have Luke's gospel chapter eight open, let's pick up the 40th verse and then we'll read down to verse 55. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. And I'll, I'll make this point in the message. Watch how many times we keep finding the word crowd or crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter, who's always trying to correct Jesus, for, for life of me, I can't figure out why, but Peter is always trying to straighten Jesus out. Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, somebody, and look at this next word, deliberately touched me. See, that's what's going to happen today. Thousands of us, maybe six or 7,000 of us will rub up against Jesus, but there will be somebody here today who will deliberately touch Jesus. Someone deliberately touched me for I felt healing power go out for me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And my favorite line from this story, the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, that's the only time Jesus used this particular word uh, in, in the Greek language, daughter. He said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She's not dead, only asleep. Notice how quickly the crowd here changed, but the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. At that moment, life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus, and she must have been a teenager, Jesus told them to give her something to eat. <laughs> well, we're going to look at this whole story briefly, but my focus this morning is on the woman who touched Jesus' robe. We're not told her name, so I'm going to make one up. 
And that's all it is. It's a made-up name. But I picked the name Leah because Leah means weary. It means worn out. It means desperate. So today, if you're worn out by life and you're dealing with situations that don't ever seem to get any better, you have a soul sister in Leah. So I want you to watch a little bit about what the Bible says about her. And this story is in more than one gospel. It's in three gospels, I believe. And I want us to pick up what Mark says. I really believe Mark, the gospel of Mark is really Peter's story. I think Mark was just the scribe who took it down. And so typical of Peter, Peter probably just said to Mark, you put your name on this. But I want you to hear what Mark says about this woman. She suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had, and notice the word again, suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. Now try as best you can to get a picture of what's going on. Jesus has a crowd. I mean, the crowd is built around him. There could have been thousands of people around Jesus. But get a look at this woman because at first she is not part of the crowd. I'll explain why in just a moment that society would have prevented her from being part of the crowd. But first of all, she is weak from the illness. If you've been losing blood for 12 years, you would have a pale complexion and you would deal with weakness. But not only that, she also dealt with in these days a social stigma because the cultural law where she lived demanded that if a woman was bleeding, that she could not be with the rest of society. And what's really tragic, and it's so wrong, but tragically, she was not just considered ill, she was considered unclean. And what people believed in those days was that she was unclean. Anybody she touched would become unclean. Any item that she touched was unclean. And so I want you to know that not only was she dealing with the illness, and not only was she dealing with the problems of being ill, she was rejected by everybody else. She could not work on a job. She could not cook. She could not touch normal items in the house. She could not, in the physical sense, be a wife. And she could not be a mother. But as any of us would have been in that situation, she decided that she was going to try to get better because that's what we would all want. Whatever was causing that bleeding, maybe something could stop that bleeding and she could get well. So what Mark told us is that, first of all, she suffered many things from treatments. And some of you know what that's like. You've had to deal with a treatment for an illness. And in order to get better, you suffered. Perhaps you had to bring chemicals into your body. Perhaps you had to deal with radiation. Perhaps you had to deal with a surgery. And when you suffer physically in order to get better, what you decide is that you will trade pain for health. 
you will go through pain in order to get better. And for these 12 years, the Bible says she had done that. These treatments, and I've done a little research on them, they were extremely painful. And she said, I will do what it takes to get better. And then the Bible says that she had spent her last dollar, which meant that there was a point where she said, I will trade money to get better. But she had reached the point where all her coverage was exhausted with her insurance policy. She is weak from the illness. She has a social stigma. She's broke. There are no treatments left, and there's no money to pay for them if there were any treatments. That day, as she stands on the periphery of the crowd, she is at the end of her rope. There is nothing human left for her to do. Now you saw what you read with me a few moments ago. This whole story begins, this narrative begins with a dad named Jairus, who would normally not be a friend of Jesus, but it is interesting how that people that claim not to believe in God get very interested in God when they're going through a crisis. As someone said, there are no atheists in foxholes. And the Bible says that Jairus was concerned that his daughter was dying. She's 12 years old or around 12 years old. So concerned that he comes running up to Jesus and he falls at Jesus' feet. And he said, Lord, my daughter is dying. Would you come and heal her? And Jesus said, yes. So Jesus is on his way to help this man whose daughter is dying when, if you'll allow me the name Leah, weary, comes up. But Leah is going to do something very desperate and something that makes me get so excited about preaching this chapter, even though it's probably one of the hardest stories I ever preach. Leah has decided she needs to touch Jesus' robe. Now, Mark tells us what drove her to do it. I mean, verse 27 of Mark 5, she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can, and I love the word just here because it is there in the Greek. It's the word that we would use only. In other words, she's saying the only thing I have to do is just touch the fringe of his robe. And she said, if I do, I will be healed. I need to take a time out. I said a moment ago, and I'll say it again, because I got to tell you, this is what I feel. This is one of the hardest chapters in the Bible for me to preach for this reason. I know Jesus did a miracle here. And secondly, I know Jesus doesn't always do the miracle. There's a mystery to God's work. This is one of the problems with the name it and claim it prosperity religion that just says if you do this X, Y, and Z, God will give you whatever you want. I know life does not work that way. It is, it is a mystery how God works. Sometimes he answers and sometimes he chooses to answer in a different way. So I don't want to be a prosperity preacher today, but at the same time, do I ignore the fact that God does miracles? I don't know what God has today. But I know one thing, I know that the Holy Spirit of God is breezing through this place doing great and mighty things. Last weekend, 45 adults who attended our services prayed to receive Jesus Christ and let us know about it. I suspicion that many more did. 
But these were bold men and women who decided they would go back to the info centers and say, I prayed with Mark today. 45. I mean, we hear about revivals and we're delighted to hear about them, but we're so accustomed to revival at New Spring, it's almost the norm for us. When you add to it the people who accepted Christ online, the people who accepted Christ on television, 98 people received Christ last weekend. I have nothing to do with that. I was talking to some dear friends at New Springers on my way to my office today, and I said, I, I'm preaching the messages, and I'm as amazed at what God is doing as anybody else. God is here. So I, I don't know what he's going to do today. I mean, I know that many of you are weary because you've got marriage situations and family situations and health situations and emotional situations, emotional health situations. I don't know what God is going to do, but I know he's here so I'm going to do my best just to tell you the story. And you decide what you want to do with it. I've already given this away. Did you see how many times the word crowd was used? The Holy Spirit never makes a mistake. When the Holy Spirit keeps putting something in the text, that's like pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. I remember when I was studying for ministry when I was still a teenager, and I remember one of my professors said, if you see something in the Bible once, it's true. If you see it twice, God is saying, pay especially close attention to this. If you see it three times or more, it's like it's flashing in neon. And even though I was an 18-year-old freshman, I still hear that as I look at this text because notice how many times crowd is used here. Verse 40, the crowds welcomed Jesus. Verse 42, he was surrounded by the crowds. Verse 43, a woman in the crowd. Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. My favorite line, verse 47, the whole crowd heard her explain why she touched him. Verse 52, the house was filled with people weeping and wailing. He said, stop the weeping. She's not dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him because... They all knew she had died. Crowd, 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 crowd. But notice by contradistinction, in verse 46, Jesus said, someone touched me. That's a good thing that Jesus was surrounded by a crowd. We're a big crowd here today. I mean, all this weekend in all of our services, we'll have crowds. It's, it's a good thing that a crowd is here. But... I think it's important to see this distinction. Something made this woman's interaction with Jesus different from the crowd. You and I could be part of a great crowd today. We can walk away and say, well, it was good to be at New Spring. But somebody here today is going to have a different kind of, you're going to have a different story when you leave here. I mean, we know these people were interested in Jesus, the crowd, I mean. They were even positive, probably curious but this woman's touch was different from the crowds. I am about to give you something that is worth, I know some of you drive four hours to be at New Spring one way. However far you had to drive, it is worth what you're about to hear. We'll tell you more about why this woman's touch was different from the crowds. Let me ask you a question. What's the, what's the last chapter in your Bible? Revelation 22, right? And, you know, when it, I love Revelation 22 because as God is signing off, and by the way, we do start the Revelation series. It'll be at least 10 weeks long. It'll start the week after Easter. But when you get to the end of Revelation 22, God is like making one more invitation, and he's talking about Jesus coming back. 
And as I said, you get that one more invitation. The spirit and the bride say, come, let him who is thirst come and take the water of life freely. I mean, just as God is signing off one more time, he's saying, come to Jesus. That's what the end of your Bible says. But see, she didn't have the New Testament. For you Bible students, what was the end of her Bible? I heard somebody say it, Malachi chapter four, last chapter of the Old Testament. Well, you see, what's in Malachi chapter four is interesting. What did, I, what did I tell you is at the end of your Bible in Revelation 22, Jesus is coming back. You know what the end of Malachi chapter four is? Jesus is coming the first time. It's in verse two. The end of her Bible said this, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, which is a metaphor for Jesus, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free leaping with joy. That's the end of her Bible. Now, <laughs> when I was a kid growing up and I read this verse, I would think about, I knew that was about Jesus, but healing in his wings. And I would think about angel wings or bird wings. That is not at all what that means. The Hebrew word there for wing means the fringes or the corners of his robe. See, men in those days had, they, 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 especially rabbis, they wore robes with blue thread on the bottom and four fringes. And so that's what the word wing there refers to. Now, I got to tell you something. I really do believe that's a poetic expression. I mean, have you ever heard the expression, that, that woman's got more brains in her little finger than everybody else does in the room. Now, you know she doesn't have brains in her little finger. It's just a way of saying that woman is so smart. I really think that's the the kind of reference here, I think the Bible was saying when the Messiah comes, he is going to have so much healing, it's like it's even in the fringes of his robe. But Leah, or whatever her name was, and this is, like I said, this is worth coming for because some of you are going to get this. She took the word of God literally. Okay? Maybe she went too far. <laughs> Maybe it didn't literally mean that there was healing in the fringes of his robe, but that was her Bible. That is what she had. She said, I'm sick. I've tried everything. I've spent money on doctors. I have suffered for years. I've gone through all kinds of stuff and I'm at the end of my rope and at the end of my money. And the last chapter of my Bible says that when Messiah comes, he's going to have healing in the fringes of his robe. So all I need to do is get close enough in proximity to touch the fringe of that robe. And if I do, I will be healed. Okay. Maybe she went too far with that, but you got to hand her one thing. She had the one thing that God treasures more than anything else. And that is just somebody who will trust his word and believe that God means what he says. And I'll tell you, I don't, I'm not a smart man. I've been a pastor for a lot of years and I've seen thousands of stories. I do believe there is a beautiful, there is a beautiful cocktail. There's a beautiful combination that happens when human desperation mixes with confidence in God's word. There is something about desperation and faith that moves heaven to do miracles. Well, you read with me what happened. The woman who had been sick for 12 years, suffered, spent all, got worse. When she touched Jesus' robe, watch, watch the verb felt here because the Bible is going to say she felt something and Jesus felt something. Mark's gospel said she felt the bleeding stop. And our gospel says Jesus felt healing go out of him. This is big. And God showed me this about 12 years ago because I've glazed over that for most of my ministry. 
But about 12 years ago, in a dark time in my life, I was just exhausted and sick. I'll talk about that maybe in a minute. I was reading the scripture because I needed that touch in my life. And when the Bible says that Jesus felt healing go out of him, I got thinking about something. All my life, I'd sort of thought about Jesus just could heal just with a word or whatever. He could say anything and he didn't feel it. But I began to think about what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, because it says he has borne our illness. He has borne our weaknesses. See, when Jesus was on the cross, he not only paid for our sins, but he also paid for all the dysfunction of the world, which is why the Bible says it is by his stripes we are healed. We're not only healed spiritually, but we're healed eternally. So every time Jesus healed, there was a bill racking up. There was another addition made to the bill, to the price he was going to have to pay. Now, before we finish the story of the woman, I've been telling you my favorite line in this whole story is in verse 47. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I bet I'm talking to a few people who have been where I've been, which is you go through a really difficult time in your life of sickness, illness, emotional challenge. Some of you have been through addictions. Isn't it amazing that when the Lord delivers you from that dark valley, you're never ashamed to tell people where you were before he touched you. I mean, you're not ashamed to say, I was was addicted. You're not ashamed to say, I was dealing with depression or anxiety like I've dealt with anxiety. I know what that's like. You're never ashamed to talk about how sick you were. You're never ashamed to talk about how many wrong turns you took because see, you're not worried about that anymore because the Lord has delivered you from it and you want to tell people about how he pulled you out of the pit you were in, how he delivered you from the hole you were stuck in. And there's something about you that just says, I got to tell everybody what Jesus has done for me. Like David said in the song, come and listen to me and I will tell you what the Lord has done for my soul. The reason why I love this so much is you and I both know what she'd been dealing with. It it wouldn't be a stigma today. It'd be something that people could talk about freely today, but that's not how things were then. I mean, this woman is having to explain, you know what I did? I did something, I did something taboo. I mean, I had this issue, but I just worked my way through the crowd and and I touched his robe. I'm not supposed to do that. I I know that there are are cultural rules that I broke here, but you see, I had so much problem. I was bleeding, but when I touched him, he healed me. And I love this. It says the whole crowd heard her explain why she touched Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Has your crowd heard you tell them what Jesus has done for you? Oh, you're like, well, you know what, Mark? I come to New Spring and I love singing with the band, but you know, when I go to work, you know, I, I don't want people to think I'm weird. I'm asking you a question. If, if, you, if you've been delivered from your sin, if you've been born again by the power of God, if you're a different person than you used to be, if God has saved you from a life of brokenness, has the crowd, has your crowd heard you explain why you touched him? Somebody was like, well, Mark, and I've been asked this since I was a teenage preacher. Mark, how do I know that I won't get into a situation where I share Jesus and they may ask me a question about the Bible I don't know the answer to? That happens to me every time practically. 
There's so many questions in the Bible. The most powerful thing, I don't think anybody is led to Christ by someone answering all their theological questions. The most powerful thing you can ever share is what Jesus has done in your life. They can argue with your theology. They can argue with your worldview. They can argue with your view of origins. But the one thing nobody can argue with you about is what Jesus has done for you. Has the whole crowd heard you explain why you touched him? Well, I'll close with one more story. While Jesus is talking to Leah, a messenger from Jairus' house came up to him and they said, it's too late, your daughter's died. Now, I, 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 put, I have a vivid imagination. I put myself in the place as Jairus is watching Jesus' interaction with this woman. So as soon as he sees her get healed, I think his arrow's pointing up, his arrow of hope. But then when the messengers come and tell him your daughter's dead arrows pointing down he's human like you and I would have been I mean if you were a daddy and your little 11 12 year old girl was dying and and she died while Jesus is helping somebody else wouldn't you have wondered maybe if he hadn't stopped to heal this woman who broke all these rules because Jairus would have known all these rules being a synagogue leader don't you don't you think he wondered if he hadn't stopped to help this woman maybe he'd have been on time but Jesus said, don't worry about this. Don't be afraid. Now you read what happened there, so I'm not going to take a lot, lot more time. But there's one point for us to focus on that's really big. The crowd is there. They're crying. They're playing sad instruments. And Jesus walks in the house, and he walks into this death scene, and he says, she's not asleep. She's not dying. She's died. She, she, she isn't dead. She's just asleep. What did they do? You read it with me. They laughed at him. And then Jesus put them out of the room. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the most important things I'll ever teach. There is an infinite difference between doubt and unbelief. God's people have dealt with doubt. Mary Alice and I were reading this morning about John the Baptist dealing with doubt. Doubt means I'm a human being and I'm struggling under the weight of the magnitude of God's promise. Human beings can be there. I'm struggling to grasp the enormity of God's word. And and, and in my frailty, God, it's like the man who said, Lord, I believe, but help help my doubt. And God will help you with that. Unbelief is very different. Unbelief says, whether tacit or literal, God, I think you're lying. I think you're wrong. Jesus will not put doubters out of the room, but he will put those who do not believe him out of the room. And I tell us all that today because you see, with unbelief, there's a major dose of rebellion. And I can't afford to be put out of the room when Jesus is doing miracles. I can't afford that. Well, that's the message. And I got to tell you, I, uh, as I've said this three times already, I think today, said it in both services last night. I struggle with this chapter for the same reason that I, I told you about. I, 
I never know when God's gonna do a miracle, and, and I, I know he doesn't do miracles on demand, but I know he does miracles, so because of that, it is a challenge. But let me tell you a story. And if you're a really old New Springer, or if you've been here for a long time, you may know this story. But for many of you, it'll be new. As I hinted at earlier in the message, I, I deal with ADD and anxiety. And in, 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 at the end of 2010, I got really exhausted and just kind of ran out of adrenaline. And then on, I was dealing with some physical illnesses and I had to be away for a while. But during those four weeks that I was away, I just spent hours and hours and hours in the word of God in prayer. And when I came back, even though I was still physically weak, I sensed the power of God in a very unusual way. And I don't want anyone to go off the edge with that. It's just I did. And I was doing a series called Red Letters in 2011. Red Letters was a series where we looked at potentially the top eight things that Jesus said. And I wound up preaching on this story. If memory serves correctly, the last time I've done that is 12 years ago. And for the reason I've said to you several times, I, I, I remember walking out that door off the stage that night, thinking to myself, Lord, I'm not sure what that sermon was about. I know I preached your word, but I'm not sure what, all, what it means. Circled back around the building and Mary Alice met me and she said, Mark, I normally wouldn't push you to do this, but she said, um, she said, I know you're tired and exhausted. But she said, there's a, an emergency that's happened in our church. And she said, you know this family? And she said, I think you would want to go to the hospital. What had happened was a little 11-year-old girl here at New Spring had been riding in the passenger seat with her mother. And you know how in the spring we burn fields in Kansas. And the mother was driving down a country road. And you know how if fields are being burned, sometimes the wind can blow billows of smoke and you can't see where you're going. And that happened to this mother and this little girl and they were on this country road. And what they could not see was that there were two farmers who had stopped their trucks in the middle of the road, one going one direction, the other going the same direction. The mother and the little girl had stopped and they were talking to each other in this road, in this smoke-filled cloud. And this mother and little girl's car plowed into the back of a flatbed truck. And the truck sheared the top of the car off and hit the little girl in her head. I can't confirm this, but the highway patrolman said there was brain fluid in the car. And Mary Alice said, she's up at Wesley in pediatric ICU for all technical reasons, she's just on life support. And I said, sure, I would want to go up there. So I got there and the family, which I knew well, they were in the room and all the medical personnel were around the bed and, and I could see that she was on all kinds of life support. I don't, I don't want you to think I had, I want you to know from the beginning, I don't want you to think I had a lot of faith because I didn't but I'm a pastor. So I asked everyone to hold hands around her bed and I prayed a preacher prayer. You know, one that sounded very good. All the right words. 
And I talked to the family for a few moments and we released each other's hands and we all trooped out of the room. And if you know Wesley Pediatric, you know that the elevator is just around the corner from ICU. And I was just about to get on the elevator when I realized I had put my glasses down on her bed. And I went back to get my glasses. And when I did, to my amazement, no one was in the room, just her lying in the bed. And I started thinking about the message I had just preached. <laughs> and I reached in and I took her wrist in my hand. And I prayed the weirdest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. I didn't even know it was a prayer. I was just talking to Jesus. I said, Lord, if you are who I just told these people you are, you could do something here. And left the room. Now, before you watch the clip of a message that I preached the day after, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. I came back the next day at the church. I mean, I, I thought she would die that night. I thought I'd get the call somewhere in the middle of the night, but nothing came. And so I thought, well, she's still on life support. Next morning, I still hadn't heard anything. So I stood right here and I just asked you to pray. I remember that day we had a woman in our church and she wrote me later after she knew the end of the story who had been in emergency medicine for 20 years. She was at Wesley. She received this young lady when she came in. And she wrote me later and said, you know, to be honest, I was mad at you for asking us to pray for her. Because he, she said, in all practical purposes, she was already dead. She said, we were just hoping she could live long enough for us to harvest her organs. She said, in all my years of emergency medicine, I've never seen anybody that bad. Well, Monday passed and Tuesday passed and Wednesday passed and I still didn't hear anything. And at the end of that week though, um, the family went to the doctor and they said, um, we think that when we speak loudly, she's reacting. And the doctor said, oh no, please don't get your hopes up. She, that's, he said, it's just the response of her autonomic nervous system. He said, watch, I'll pinch her hand and, and she'll flinch. And he reached down and pinched her hand and all of a sudden she said, ouch. Wow, that brought all the pros there all of a sudden. And given what they were beginning to see, they decided to move her to Kansas, to, Ch to Children's Mercy in Kansas City. And she just began to improve, improve dramatically. At the end of that week, they had to take her to rehab and she walked to the back of the ambulance. And some of you who were here will never forget the day I told the story and she bounded up on stage, an A student. Well, I haven't preached on this chapter in 12 years. So I thought I would just pull up the sermon for, that I preached 12 years ago. I don't usually do that, but I thought I'll watch and see if I can pick up anything from an old sermon. And to be honest with you, it was just as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> I didn't get anything out of it. So I watched about, oh, three-fourths or four-fifths of it. And finally, it was late at night. I said, I'm going to just go to bed. And instead of turning it off, I just pressed pause. And so the next morning when I got up, I realized I put it on pause and I thought, well, I guess I'll watch the rest of that message. And when I did, I watched something that I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten that I told part of the story. And instead of me doing it today, could I have your permission just to watch about a minute or so clip from that message? Because here's the thing I wanna say and the reason why I think this is important. When you see my face, 
You can tell I don't necessarily have any faith that anything's going to happen. But it was in that moment in between the impossibility and the miracle. And I want you to see what I said. Take a look at this. Last night, after giving this talk twice, I left the campus and immediately went to the hospital. I found out during the services last night that one of our little girls, a new Springer, was in a really bad accident. She's 11 years old and she needs a miracle. And I went up and I stood by her bed and I held her little arm in my arm in my hand and prayed for her. And I don't know what God will do. But I thought at that moment that there are a lot of us who read the Bible, especially us Sunday school kids like me, we read the Bible, and in our minds, these are stories that happened a long time ago. But as I prayed, there was one verse that lit me up. It's Hebrews 13:8, and it just says this: Jesus Christ, the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He was the healer yesterday. He's still the healer today. And he will be the healer forever. And I can just say this to you today. Some of you, are, you're desperate. And you came in today and you thought, wow, I'm hanging on by my fingernails. Is there a message for me? I want to tell you there's more of a message for you than anybody here. Because Jesus loves dealing with people who are so desperate they put everything out of the way just to get to him. If you will do that today by faith, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you can reach out to him. Okay. Who needs him today? If you need Jesus to touch and you need to touch him, you can still do it by faith. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to do something and, and I do believe if this woman can have the courage to do what she did, you and I can do this. And again, nothing magical here, just a matter of reaching out by faith to the Jesus who's here. If you need the Lord to touch you today, would you just raise your hand while I pray and keep your hand just lifted up? I won't know what it is, nobody else may know, but you just need Jesus today. And hold your hand up and I'm gonna pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, may the great physician meet and answer the concerns and the needs of people here today. Oh God, help us to realize that when we've come to the end of our rope, it's just the beginning of what you can do. And Lord, we need you today. And if it doesn't happen today, we look forward to you to do it tomorrow. If not tomorrow, then this week, next week, whenever you choose in your time and however you choose to do it, we trust you in Jesus' name. And now we're going to turn this service in a different place. So please just stay with me. The reason why we've asked you to invite two people is we believe that God is going to bring people to New Spring who desperately need him. And we believe it's going to be through you. 
And so the prayer that I have is for you to be available. And I'm going to ask the team to come now because they have a song they want to sing. They have a message they want to sing to you. And guest services are going to come and they're going to collect the names. And if you didn't get a card, you can just reach out, raise your hand, and they'll, they'll, they'll have one for you. But they're going to pass the buckets. And if you will, just detach the names and we're going to bring them right down here. And I'm going to join the worship team and we're going to lay hands on these names and pray for the people that you're going to invite. So right now, guest services are coming. Just detach the names and drop them in the bucket. Austin, will you and the team come now? Show him your 
team, will you come down and help me pray? Hundreds of names here, maybe thousands. I'm going to ask that you pray if you know Jesus. The Bible tells us that the prayers of, this is in the book of Revelation, the prayers of God's people are sweet incense up in heaven. And I just think about thousands of people at New Spring are praying that that's a very fragrant scent up in heaven. And so I'm going to ask the team to come and lay hands on these names. And then it won't just be today. Our staff will be praying over these names throughout the coming days. So would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for the faith of your people who by this very act have testified their love for men and women, boys and girls. And oh God, you know who's going to be invited. Father, there are probably people who put names on here that they don't even know how they're going to make connection. It could be old high school friends they haven't seen for years. It could be a family member where things have been just a little difficult. But the one thing I do know, Lord, is the people whose names are here are loved. They're loved by the people who put their names here, and they're loved by you. So we're going to ask for several things. First of all, we're going to ask that you um, create opportunities. Would you just work and move so that there will be that opportunity to invite? Secondly, I pray, God, that when our courage starts to wane, that you will help us to have the courage of Leah, the woman in our story today, that just won't be denied. And then, Father, we pray for favor in the hearts of those who are going to be invited. Now, also, Lord, we know Satan's going to do everything he can to create difficulties so that the people who are invited can't come. Oh, God, would you rebuke the enemy? Would you rebuke Satan? And may your power overcome. And when we get together for Easter, Lord, to talk about the painful Friday and the silent Saturday and glorious Sunday, we pray that those who are here will not only celebrate the glorious Sunday of Jesus' resurrection, but their glorious Sunday as you work and move. Hear our prayer. And we'll give you, we promise, we know it's not us, Lord, we're nobodies, but you, Jesus, are everybody. You're everything. So we ask you to answer prayer and we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wow. Thank you for being here today. I just believe God is doing remarkable things. I think we're going to see God do remarkable things that will go back to this moment, this service, and say it was at this moment where God began to work in a very special way. So thank you for being here today. May God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you next weekend for the last week of Coffee with Jesus.